it's been a minute since we've been in the studio and I feel like I haven't seen you, but- I missed you. I know. What'd you do over spring break? We were trying to discourage my niece from playing with guitars, so we ended up playing Guitar Hero instead. That sounds like a great time, actually. I miss playing Guitar Hero. I know. Do you remember, like, we would have parties at my house just to play Guitar Hero. That's epic. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I know, I just, like, play, like, in our living room or whatever. Like, I have, like, the drum set because I, like, when I couldn't hold the guitars and... Yeah, I miss that. Me too. I wonder if any of the songs on there have Michigan connections. From Nakanata Motown, from Muskegon to Madonna, you're listening to The Musical Mint. I'm Maggie. And I'm Bree, coming to you from Olivet College. This is your guide to all things music, all from the state of Michigan. I feel like this is kind of poor planning on my end, but I also think I kind of knew this and there were some other things going on so that we couldn't actually do this, but I feel like we should have covered the romantics on our February 14th episode. And not just because they're called The Romantics, but in fact, because of when they first played. Their first gig was Valentine's Day of 1977, and it was at the My Fair Lady Club in Detroit. Or at least that's what the Washington Times says. The original lineup consisted of vocalist and rhythm guitarist and harmonicist Wally Palmer. The lead guitarist and vocalist was Mike Skill, bassist and backing vocalist Rich Cole, and drummer and vocalist Jimmy Marinos. And I don't know if you caught that, but every single one of the members did singing in some way, shape, or form. I love that, but I also love that one of them just played harmonica. Yeah, he plays the harmonica, rhythm guitar, and he was one of the lead, lead vocalists. And I'm just like, hmm, that's a nice little thing to add in there. <laughs> like, classic. But I always love bands who they're all equals. They're all singing, they're all doing something, and they get to share the stage, and it doesn't feel like one of them drops to the back or anything. Even the drummer sings. Yeah, there's a song in particular where I, I'm really mad because I can't remember what it was, but he was excited because it was one of his pieces, and the drumming part was so not easy, but consistent enough that he could have a larger role in the singing, and he was like really thrilled about it. Yeah, I always feel like the way that drumming works, you're using your whole body to do it's, it. So it would be very hard to sing and do that at the same time. So that takes an incredible amount of skill right the there. The breathing control alone is impressive. Because Honestly. like you said, you're like out of breath from moving your, essentially at least half your body, but mm -hmm. well, foot pedals, so maybe your whole body. It's your whole body. And to be able to control your breath while doing that and singing, it's impressive. And let's be honest here, the band's sound in general is just iconic. They have a very specific term for it now, too, don't they? I think it's power pop. Ah. I mean, yeah. It's catchy like pop, but heavier. <laughs> yeah. And the reason for that is, so the band was forming throughout the 1970s, so they have a heavy 60s influence, an early 70s influence with MC5, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, Bob Seger, and all of that Detroit sound really coming in for them. But no, so it's... Like a whole thing where they pull a lot of their sound from these Detroit artists. But it was also, again, late 60s, early 70s, height of the British invasion. <laughs> so you've also got a lot of like the Beatles and the Who and all these different bands. It's a complicated time in music. Can I be honest? When I realized that this was the band that sang What I Like About You, I genuinely thought that this band was from like London or something. 
I didn't. It never clicked with me that they were from Detroit. Their style, the way they sound, I genuinely thought that they were a London band. The thing of it is, is the heaviness of it is very Detroit. Oh yeah. When you know that you can hear it. When you know to look for it, yeah. But if you're just listening to it without that context, it sounds very British Invasion. It does. So those two happening at the same time make a lot of sense. But it's also like going into the 80s, so you have like, <laughs> like that very like pop-ish feel which is where you get that power pop from. It is a very complicated time in music, and I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm dying. Because you're right, 80s was, it was huge for pop. And like Madonna, Michael Jackson, that's what my brain like immediately goes through. And that is a weird transition that I never had, I mean, I'm sure I thought about it, but like never connected. <laughs> it's, it's not a correlation that you're gonna make. No, you're like, oh, from this British Invasion 60s Detroit sound to full-blown pop music. Yeah, and like I knew those two things separately. It's America, it's Britain. You obviously know that they're both happening in these time periods, but I think this is like where that all kind of just got meshed together. Where that transition period of it being a little bit of both or messier of what, I don't know, it's cool. Definitely not something I'd considered before. <laughs> I know, but it's so exciting especially because of those Detroit roots. Which they never really forgot, like, even, I don't know if you guys know this, but, like, the Romantics are still playing, like, actively. But even now, they encourage a lot of Detroit musicians when they play. They'll play more often. They'll have a preference towards playing with them mm -hmm. and supporting other Detroit locals. It's actually really funny that you mentioned that because the Washington Times did an interview a few years ago, back in 2016, where they actually got to talk to Wally Palmer and basically ask him why he still has that connection to Detroit, why he still calls it home. And he basically just went into like, that's where he was raised. He has family in the area. That's just where the romantics started. That's where they still are. And it's really just a beautiful thing to be rooted in the place where you came from. Well, if we go back to the British invasion part of their roots, Wally Palmer did get to play with Ringo. In Ringo Starr, like of the Beatles? Yeah, which in an interview with 100% Rock, he actually talks a little bit about how he had to do everything he could to not fangirl. Yeah. And he was invited to play in Ringo's All-Star Band, and they did that in 2011. And it was just really cool that even though we talked about it being a weird transition and combination of things, it happened for them as a combination of things also. I wouldn't have been able to keep myself from fangirling. That's insane. Yeah, no. If I could even just talk to one of them, let alone play with one, like, ah. <laughs> for sure. It really is just an interesting period, and I think it works out really well for them, too. Especially because a few of their songs have just become so iconic. But despite getting to work with one of his idols, and maybe because of it, it's like very humbling, he still will always take time out of his day to just sit and, well not sit, but like autograph and do photos with some of his fans. And his reasoning behind that is that a lot of the people who go to these events work really hard to afford the tickets, to afford the gas, or whatever it is to get there. And so the least he could do is take 30 seconds to take a photo or sign an autograph. And I just think that that's really sweet. Like, to this day, he's still humble enough to take that second and acknowledge all of the work that his fans put into showing up for him. Yeah, I really appreciate artists who don't get a big head about their work. 
like who are really able to connect with their fans because I feel like there is a dangerous line yeah. where their ego will get overinflated and they're almost rude to their fans and inconsiderate. So Instead it's, of remembering that the fans are the reason they are where they are, they kind of think of them as like beneath them almost. Yeah, so yeah. it's really refreshing to hear that he's willing to put in that work. Especially considering he has done a lot of big things. It's not like he played with Ringo. <laughs> like, it definitely could have gone to his head, but he never let it, and that's really impressive. This week in music. So since we were gone last week, we do have to play a little bit of catch up with this week's news. So we're not going to overwhelm you, but we're also going to be throwing it back to a couple weeks ago, as well as bringing you up to speed for this week. So I know a couple weeks ago we talked about Music Man and our feelings on the show in general, but have you checked in on them and how they're doing? Actually, yes. So they are in their, I believe, fifth week of performances right now, grossing over $3 million a week and currently outselling Hamilton. Wait, Hamilton? Hamilton. How? What? I know. This is crazy. The New York Times did a report on it and his revival and because of how popular he is and because of how popular Sutton Foster is, they are just really doing great. That's which impressive. Is, yeah, that's great considering that, you know, we weren't really sure what those reviews are going to be like, especially with the updated version of the show. And the struggles of the pandemic, even though it may be a little bit less intense than it was in the earlier years, it's still very much something that exists. And then to still outsell Hamilton, like, that's an iconic play. Hamilton is grossing about $2.3 million a week now. So it's not by much, but it's by enough. Even just looking at the pictures on this New York Times article, it looks like it is quite the show. This one is totally on me for shutting off my phone during spring break for a couple of days, but I totally miss Little Nas X coming back. Yeah, I had no idea, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, like, good for him from taking a break from social media. I think it's a completely valid thing to do every so often. I get it. It can be overwhelming. Oh, yeah. But, you know, he had a few album teasers and a few song teasers, like, before he left, went on hiatus, and is now coming back, is doing great, and even has a new song. Oh, that's exciting. So he comes back from his hiatus and drops a new song so that there's, like, something to look forward to because I'm sure there's more on the horizon. Oh, for sure. And you can get all of those details more, including his Twitter posts as he has returned, which happened as of March 16th, all on the Pop Crush website. So we don't normally cover a lot of Michigan news because we get to do that a lot with the artists we choose to cover, but it's been a particularly crazy two weeks, especially for Michigan. Yeah, which is great. So more recently, this past weekend, there were a lot of musicians packed into the Detroit and Ann Arbor areas with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, with the best of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Hootie and the Blowfish is going to be playing at the Fox Theater on a Friday. There are a few cover bands that are going to be playing, including a tribute to Ozzy Osbourne, 
what looks like a Queen tribute in Clinton Township, and a Bob Seger tribute band, which was in Pontiac on March 26th, which was Saturday. So we hope that you guys got to see at least one of those, and we will be keeping an eye on that to see if we can actually get you those dates before they happen this time around, but still super exciting for the state, especially with some of those more Michigan-themed tribute bands. But what I think is even more exciting and does not have a specified date you can just go is the Michigan Rock and Roll Legends Hall of Fame officially has a museum exhibit. Yeah, where's this exhibit, Maggie? The exhibit is at the <laughs> County Historical Museum in Bay County and it's on the second floor of the museum. It is filled with a ton of pictures and original artwork and just really gets into those Michigan roots starting with Motown and working our way up to present day. I actually got to go to the exhibit opening and get to see and hear everything that very first day was super exciting. Because of course even on vacation you don't take a vacation from our podcast. <laughs> Never. You can find music anywhere vacation or not. <laughs> they really do have the, some great stuff. I recognized a lot of the artists that we've covered and even got to take notes on some that we haven't gotten to yet. So hopefully we'll get to work those into the show soon and definitely go check out that museum if you're in the area. And that's been this week in music. Musical Mitten started as a radio show on WOCR 89.1 The One, Olivet College Radio. I'm your host Maggie. And I'm Bree. And we were so excited to go on a musical road trip all through the Great Lakes State. You can let us know who you want to hear through the survey link at the bottom of our website, themusicalmitten.wixsite.com slash themusicalmi. And if you want to hear music from artists we feature, we do create Spotify playlists under the same name as the show. Thanks for listening. So we have been talking about the Romantics, their roots in Detroit and in the British invasion, especially at the beginning of the 1980s, and how they've really stayed down to earth as a band, even with their popularity. And you brought up a really interesting point about how Wally Palmer always gives a little bit of time to his fans to sign autographs, to take pictures, whatever, because they have to work for tickets and they have to work for gas. But it's really interesting that you say that. Why? Because at some point in their past, they were having a hard time getting gas for themselves. Oh my gosh. So maybe that's part of why he's able to like keep things in perspective after all this. Maybe a little bit, but it's part of a more complicated lawsuit. They had a bit of a mismanagement problem in the 1980s where they were basically not seeing any of their royalties. Like it was barely anything. Oh, yeah, I think I remember seeing a little bit about this. The managers, like, misplay <laughs> air quotes, misplacing their royalty money and compensation stuff. Yeah, and their financial advisors were unable to find it, basically. Jeez. It was a huge issue for the band in trying to get this back. But the Chicago Tribune really does a great job in getting into the details as, like, why this was as big of an issue as it was. And there was a point where they were only earning about $5,000 a month, which when you are producing music as popular as they did. Well, yeah, that What I Like About You Alone is stuck in my head today. And it's still a relatively popular song. Like, that song alone, ignoring, like, all of their other hits, all of their other music, the live concerts. Yeah, they were basically living with their parents and... Their cars were running out of gas. That See, when is... you said that, I was honestly thinking like, oh, that must have been before they got famous or before they started producing music. That's in the middle of... This is in the 80s, which is when they were pretty much at the height of their popularity and their music. That's insane. 
So thankfully the issue has gotten solved and again if you want to look more into the details of that case and how they got it all worked out I would really encourage you to do so. It's a really really interesting look at how royalties work and copyrights and all these different things. Thankfully they've been able to continue performing but it did have quite the impact on their writing and probably a bit of an impact on their popularity too although I will say one thing that those particular managers did even if they were completely mismanaging the band and their financials was they got what I like about you popular. How'd they do that? It was a Budweiser commercial. What? <laughs> what time period was this? This sounds pretty accurate actually. I can see it. No, but okay. Here's the weird thing. The song came out at the tail end of the 1970s. Like it was like 1979 and wasn't super popular at first, which is crazy to us now because it's like one of their most well-known songs, right? Thing is, because of the licensing agreements that they had, mm -hmm. the song was able to be used in commercials, particularly a Budweiser ad that aired in the late 1980s. Oh, like almost a whole decade later. Yeah. And somehow that commercial managed to make that song super popular. <laughs> Because people in the States love Budweiser. Love I'm just saying, it, it tends to be a United States thing, I swear. And they always have those really, like, yeah, I feel like even back then they would have had those, like, massively produced commercials. Like, now they have the dog and the horses, so. But it's just, it's wild now to know that that's such a popular song. It's been covered by Michael Morales, and it was covered by even Five Seconds of Summer more recently. What? For those who don't know, this is a, this is a newer band. They're Australian. They were post One Direction, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, right after, right around. It would have been right after, because yeah. I think I just missed them. So it would have been like the mid-2010s, basically, okay. when this was all happening. And they apparently covered the song in about 2014. What? I know. It's wild. That's, I mean, not recent recent, but recent enough that I still consider that recent. <laughs> what baffles me more, though, is the fact that that song didn't take off for 10 years. And now it's been redone by a boatload of people. Yeah, including video games, right? Oh my gosh. I think you might be right. It's um, definitely been done on Guitar Hero. So I know I played some Guitar Hero when I was younger. I know you've mentioned like you played it with your niece, but like they obviously have like a lot of these classic rock songs like from about that era. Here's the funny thing though, again, with the licensing issues, theme of the episode, there was almost a huge issue with that. Actually, there was a huge issue with that because of the way that Guitar Hero works, right? So the way that Guitar Hero, like they do that their songs is they have studio musicians who will recreate these songs and play them so that they're able to put it into the game as long as you know they have the proper licensing so that it can be more easily played by people who might not know music as well. They're still capturing the spirit of the music but maybe they're not necessarily able to like do all the complicated things and whatever and we're still hearing it in a very similar way but there was a huge issue with Guitar Hero and the Romantics. This would have been back in about 2008. There is a few different articles on it. I'm looking at one from Wired right now. And how Activision Blizzard, which is the company that publishes Guitar Hero, was sued by the Romantics because of how they claimed that they did such a terrible job representing their music. 
Yeah, just to build off of what you were saying, actually, in that interview with the classic band, Mike Skill said that a lot of people thought that it was based on money and them just like trying to make a buck off of this kind of issue. But in reality, what bothered him the most is that the game, like on the packaging, it said, what I like about you as performed by the romantics. So for them, it was more of a, this is an imitation of us and you're trying to basically pass it off as us to make the money you would have if it was, you know what I mean? Like their name holds a lot of weight. And so them being a not included in part of this and then B them making even more money than the game company would have because it's the romantics when it's not so for them it was more of an image issue yeah and honestly that makes a lot of sense the romantics did lose the lawsuit because Activision Blizzard did have all of the proper licensing for the game mm -hmm. and they were able to reproduce this song but it was really more of an image thing yeah which I think is really interesting I feel like even if they had worded the packaging differently to say like this song done by whatever band actually covered it instead of as by it would have been different and it wouldn't have been as offensive to the romantics yeah but now they are of course still popular they're still performing. Yeah, yeah. 40 years later, they're still performing. Which is great. And that's a new music come out in 2016. And we're still touring up until the about the pandemic hit yeah. and when it was too dangerous to perform. But I did see some tour dates listed on their website more recently, like in the this past year. Their last shows would have been in September of 2021, so hopefully they are able to bring that back very shortly, but of course it can be difficult with safety and finding venues that will work for them, so we will be sure to keep an eye on those dates and get them out to you guys as soon as possible. This has been The Musical Mitten, where we bring you all things music from Michigan. Check out our Instagram and Twitter at The Musical MI for any announcements, events, and more. All of our past episodes, radio show, and podcast are on our website at themusicalmitten.website.com slash themusicalmi. Again, that's T-H-E-M-U-S-I-C-A-L-M-I-T-T-E-N dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot C-O-M slash T-H-E-M-U-S-I-C-A-L-M-I. -E -E Keep listening in for weekly episodes. Catch you later. Thank you.